Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Public Safety Now on Hexagon Radio. I'm your host, John Whitehead, Vice President of Sales for U.S. Public Safety here at Hexagon Safety and Infrastructure Division. So a lot of really interesting things have happened in the last few decades. And, and as everyone listening here knows, the world's gone through some radical changes. What we used to have was normally like analog landscape. Remember, you'd pick up the phone. And for those of you old enough, remember, we'd actually have to dial a rotary phone. And then we got into some push buttons and that seemed to be cool. But really, over the last few decades, we've gone into this digital reality where now it's everywhere. Well, as you know, we're talking about public safety here and the public safety world is not immune to this. Today, we're going to discuss a really neat topic and it's the emergency services IP network or what you're going to hear us call EZNet. And you're probably familiar with that word, but I'll just give you a little bit of a definition of it as, until we go into our discussion here later. But it delivers voice, video, text, data, and really calls into the, uh, the, the PSAP, bringing those into the 911 center. All right, a little history on EZNet and kind of where it started. In 2000, Palm Beach County, Florida, one of the largest counties east of the Mississippi, they were the first one to implement EZNet in the United States. Uh, following that, in about 2012, the state of Washington completed the first wide EZNet implementation in the U.S. So there's a lot of things, whether it's cities, counties, states, that are they're going all in on this EZNet. So today, we've got Darren Riley. He's a chief operating officer from Mission Critical Partners with us. And we're going to discuss the ways in which how to implement EZNet and how that's transforming public safety communication. So, Darren, welcome and thank you for taking the time to join us. Hey, John. Thanks for including me in this podcast. Really exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And it's it's a really neat topic as far as bringing that data in. And, you know, I gave a little bit of background, but can you tell us some of the main benefits of, of, of EZNet and maybe a little bit more as far as what it is and some of the benefits of it? Yeah, really, you know, it actually brings to reality what we've seen in the commercial marketplace. If you look at the beginning of, you know, the cellular industry where people, you know, was primarily just voice with, you know, often referred to as, quote unquote, 1G cellular, uh, you know, it, it, it provided point to point uh, uh, voice communications. And then slowly but surely moved to 2G, which was really an efficiency on the spectrum that cellular used and really people didn't feel the experience of moving to, uh, you know, a multimedia experience until 3G and specifically to give it a you know, specific example, the iPhone came out. And that's really where, you know, through the network mesh on the cellular side, and now everyone knows 4G and LTE and 5G is coming out, enabled that experience where really voice became pretty much a commodity and the value drivers were applications, you know, be it, you know, data, obviously, images, things of that nature, text, et cetera. And now we are transforming in, you know, the, the emergency services world, you know, this called emergency services IP network, next generation 911 often referred to as well, uh, to be able to have that same type of experience where you could have those images, those videos, those photos, things of that nature that will come into the public safety answering points here in the United States. Very exciting time. It is. And, and we've talked about this on, on several podcasts uh, here this year. And it's amazing to me that in our everyday life, it's what we do. 
you know, you and I were talking a little bit earlier about your son and some of the things he does in the gaming world and the in the connectivity. I mean, it's just, hey, I walk into my living room or I grab my cell phone or I grab my computer and I'm connected. I'm sending this data back and sending this uh, to my friends and sending this to, up to my family. And that emergency service coming into that into that realm and the, the work that we've been doing here over the last several years, I guess I'll keep it to, um, is, is really doing just that. And, and it is an exciting time. How do you think, though, that, that the transformation communications, right? We've got thousands of PSAPs across the country. Well, how do you think this transformation is, is impacting those centers, the, the PSAPs, the first responders? Is it making it better? How do you think it's working? Well, I think it is going to be making it better. Obviously, there is that, as you're stating, transformation. And again, you look at how we have transformed, you know, as far as the, the average citizen going to a smartphone, which, you know, overnight when they came out with the term smartphone, it looked at, if you recall, the days of the flip phones, suddenly the flip phones became dumb phones and the mm-hmm. smartphones were exactly that smartphones because they could have, handle multimedia data. At the end of the day, everything that we do, John, and I know you're well aware of this, is to protect the citizens. That's the mission, right? How can we better serve the uh, the citizens with the technology and services that we provide? And by doing that, providing, you know, be it the first responders, the command centers, clearly the public safety energy same points, the emergency call center, so to speak, you know, better access and how do they communicate down to the citizens. And the reality is the citizens, when we look at the inbound 911 calls, as we all know, and most people are fully aware, about 80% of all inbound calls, and there's about 240 million inbound 911 calls here in the United States on an annual basis, about 80% of those are coming from wireless uh, endpoints, mobile endpoints, you know, smartphones typically, uh, or just wireless devices. And now when you think about it, to limit those individuals, you know, without the advent of being able to communicate via text, via images, via photo, video, et cetera, is exactly that. It's limiting. And we we have to adhere to, you know, how our citizens are, uh, you know, what they're using when they're at work, when they're playing, uh, things of that nature. And we have to accept that type of, uh, you know, communication into the emergency services, uh, communication networks. And, you know, I would look at kind of an example too, which is probably hopefully easy for a lot of people to understand is there's a large, uh, as we know, hearing impaired community, clearly in yep. all the communities that we serve. And if you think about from their standpoint, for them to ask for emergency services in the old way of doing it, only analog, it's a little more complex. And sometimes people forget that, right? And they're mobile as well. Hey, they're working, they're playing, they're very active citizens that contribute to uh, everything that takes place in the communities that we live. And if you just look at from that aspect of being a have have those individuals, as well as everybody, to be able to communicate into public safety answering points with the multimedia experience, it, it's, it's just good for the community as a whole. Yeah, I know, you know, when I was a dispatcher, you know, there was special training on how to use the TDD you know, if by chance a TDD call would come into the center, there was special training for that equipment, right? You had to pull up a special keyboard back then. And, you know, this is mid nineties and, and, and the Ma Bells of the world would provide this capability for the deaf community. And it is kind of exciting because I remember that being a little bit of, uh, I'll say a little apprehension from the user point of view because. TDD calls didn't come in every day, at least in my center, they didn't. So when they did happen, it was one of those things where you really had to get in your game and say, okay, let's pull back on that training. And how do I end a sentence? And how do I make sure that they're, you know, that the, what was it? GA, I think you had to type in for go ahead. And, and how did I communicate back and forth? Well, the beauty of this is everybody text. 
every day. And we've talked about text to 911 and some of those, but you know, the things we're using in our daily life to me is exciting because it, one, it makes it easier for the public. But two, it makes it easier for the dispatchers. They're not learning a whole new set of skills just for that occasional call or that occasional text or TDD that's coming in. They're actually using what they use in their everyday life, and that that definitely makes it makes it exciting. I was going to ask you how this affected the public at large, but I think we've kind of touched on that. I mean, don't you think? I mean, if it's making it easier for the deaf community, for example, to be able to communicate uh, with the 911 center, I mean, that, that's a huge plus right there in itself for ESINET. Well, yeah, I mean, you can talk about the hearing impaired, and I think, you know, kind of kind of layer foundation, you know, at the end of the day that really helps them out, which is obviously incredibly key. But, you know, uh, as you're aware, I have a I have a 24-year-old daughter and a 22-year-old son, and I have to remind them that they can actually still make a phone call via <laughs> their uh, cell phone. So, you know, it's interesting. I was having a conversation recently with my, uh, with my daughter, and uh, she could not believe that uh, many of the public safety and answering points have a very difficult time accepting photos, videos, uh, text, and things of that nature. That's just the way that they communicate, right? Yep. So I think sometimes when we look at, oh, the hearing impaired, that, that to me, that's just a no-brainer, right, to be able to assist anything that we can from a technology standpoint to help them. But layering it on that, it's just simply the expectation of uh, often referred to as the millennials and even beyond that on how people right. would be able to communicate. It's just it just helps uh, citizen safety at the end of the day. No, I, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, it just becomes it, it, it's become the norm and and reaching out to 911. I know we're focusing a lot on the texting, but, you know, wh- wh- whatever that is, getting that information into the 911 center and over to your telecommunicators, it should just be natural and it shouldn't be something that you have to sit there and think about. And so that that's why this is exciting. So, I, you know, I think that there's probably some changes, though, that have to be made as you start talking about EZNet and bringing EZNet into an area or into an agency. So can you give me any any current procedure, explain any things for handling some of these multimedia data that are coming in uh, for our emergency responders? Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, from a policy and procedure and setting up, and of course, John, we could go down various rabbit holes in a professional way to talk about the technology changes and things of that nature. But, you know, at the end of the day, it is technology. And we is providing technology and services and obviously uh, with Hexagon providing, you know, kind of world-class technology as well, you know, that that's going to be done, right? But at yep. the end of the day, the policies and procedures on the inbound, uh, you know, areas, the emergency call centers, there's a lot of things that they have to change because historically, obviously, clearly, they've been handling just that voice inbound communication for a service request that happens to be clearly an emergency, a fire, an accident, et cetera. But now with the advent of, you know, video and images and things of that nature, you know, how can they handle that? Once it's received, then there's a responsibility as all, you know, who can see it, how it's shared internal to the law enforcement uh, community or fire dispatch or, you know, it's a, a joint facility, et cetera. But, you know, then how do you retain that? Where is it retained? Who has access to it for, you know, if they have to bring it up for a court case or if something's going to court? So there's a lot of things that they have to look at from a policy procedure that, you know, beyond just, and I think we've seen a lot of things in the national media or even local media and, you know, video capture, who has the video, be it body-worn cameras, in-car, et cetera, CCTV, you know, a lot of things that definitely has to be captured that ultimately can go into the court systems and, you know, how it's prosecuted and, things of that nature. So just kind of reacting what took place from point of entry, 
you know, to the overall report uh, and, uh, you know, what took place based upon that request. Yeah. And I think that I could I can just imagine uh, knowing some of my friends that are that are in the 911 centers running them or working in them. Um, there's a little bit of apprehension, right, because you're going to have to make some some policy and procedure changes to some of the points you just made. Not only is is your personnel ready to accept visual representation of, of a 911 call, but then the what's next? How does that how does that become part of the solution? Uh, and I think you briefly touched on that. The technology should be able to bring that in and have that become part of that that call for service. Uh, but I think the policies and the internal procedures are probably some people are a little apprehensive about. And I could see that almost being a little bit of a scary thing for most people. And I think the one of the keys is, and we've said this again on numerous discussions that we've had, but don't do this in a vacuum. There are a lot of agencies that have gone before us that have already kind of hoed this road, if you will, uh, to, use, to use an old saying, and uh, reach out to the Ninas, reach out to your to your neighbors and find out what's going on. Would you, you think that that's a, a, a fair assessment? Oh, without a doubt. You know, I think, you know, we always got to think about it clearly to the person, obviously the citizen that's calling in and at the end of the day, the clear mission that uh, all the first responders, emergency response individuals want to do is speed a response, right? Because yep. seconds do matter, obviously. But also to the person who's receiving that call, if you think about the reality, like you just said, if they see images and photos and videos and stuff like that, you know, what is going to be the impact to them to move on to the next call, et cetera? Uh, is there going to be post-traumatic stress syndrome beyond sometimes what clearly some of those individuals handle and have to deal with? Already in the analog world, so to speak, where it's only voice, you know, as you well know, and you've been in there and I've been serving the market for 30 years myself. It's a very, very, very challenging job yep. to be able to handle these emergency calls. It's very rewarding as far as to be able to help, you know, the citizens that they serve and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, they, you know, they deal with some some things that, you know, people don't want to be fully aware of. And thank God they do. Right. And now if they start seeing the imagery affiliated with that, then, you know, we have to think about how do we train them? How do we handle them after the fact? Things of that yeah. nature. You're absolutely right. And I think for you, years, dispatchers like myself, we get off of a call and, and you start talking amongst yourselves there at the comm center. And I think there's always that the the anecdotal discussions of, man, I wish I could see that. That sounded like a good accident. Or that sounded like a big fire. That sounded like something. Man, I wish I could see that. And and I think now we need to be prepared for that goes from uh, just, just something that we're saying out loud to, yeah, you might just see that. And you might just have that now sitting there on your desktop. And, and how we handle that, to your point, we're going to need to make sure we're taking care of our dispatchers and our staff that historically maybe they just had to listen to it and that was traumatic enough but now there's some other key factors there so well the other thing too john as you all know i mean typically rightfully so i mean the press will be looking at and we you know we've we've been able to hear the 911 call on the six o'clock or 11 o'clock news you know based upon the type of call well that's fine you're Sometimes, you know, you're listening to the call, which is okay, right? You know, but if you have a multimedia experience coming in, you know, how do you protect the the privacy of the individuals that maybe they don't want their image, obviously, on the 11 o'clock or 6 o'clock news and things of that nature? So there's a lot of factors from how do you redact, you know, the youth as an example, an image of the youth, you know, that might be in a video or an image and things of that nature. We have to be aware of how we uh, you know, be very, very cognizant of that. Yep. No, I agree. No, I completely agree. We've touched on a few of them already, but do you see any other downside or risk with with the multimedia information coming in? Is there anything else that we should be aware of? 
No, I think that, you know, it's just a preparation, preparation, preparation. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reality is it's already there. The citizens are having that multimedia experience that they're using every single day. And now we just have to bring that in at a faster rate into the emergency services response. And I think at the end of the day, you know, it's going to happen. We just got to best prepare on how best to make that happen. Yeah, I know back in, you know, years ago, uh, you know, we would talk phase one cellular to bring in the phone number and the occasional cell call would that would be handy. Then we went into phase two. And now I need to know, can I can I figure out where that person's calling me? from and triangulation and all of those things so I could see uh, kind of where that person's at. And this is just another evolution in that continued uh, you know, call cycle of, of just bringing that data in. And I'm telling you, the EziNet, having that network in place sounds like a huge benefit for agencies. And, uh, and, and it, like we said at the very beginning, it is very exciting. It is a very cool time for sure. Is there anything else that you would tell agencies to kind of get prepared if they're looking down this EziNet? that road and how, how do they kind of work towards that transformation in, in, in being prepared for this? Well, even beyond, I mean, here we are talking about going from voice inbound requests, you know, for emergency response and then to a multimedia experience, obviously. But, you know, with the advent of 5G, uh, that's really going to enable the Internet of Things to or sensor based items that will be automatically dialing for response. So probably the easiest example would be a smartwatch, you know, that has a health meter in there. And as you probably obviously know with the iOS or the Apple phones, right, you can have actually a heart indication as far as how your heart is monitoring mm-hmm. things in nature and they obviously has the same thing. So ultimately there's gonna be a lot of sensor based inbound requests for emergency response, you know, automatic crash notification where it can do imagery as far as exactly the extent of the crash. So you're bringing an image of uh, of the vehicle that comes in with that automatic call. As you well know, if air de- airbags are deployed now, typically on cars that are equipped with OnStar and other type of telematic related items, they know that the airbags were deployed. Much more sensor-based items that are going to be coming in. So how do they be you know, how do they be responsive to that? How do they handle that? How do they capture that? How do they store it? How do they retrieve it? So, you know, those things are definitely coming. It's very exciting. And and it's all about bringing down, you know, getting that help out there quicker and faster and, you know, getting data in. If now all of a sudden we got vehicles and sensors telling us what's going on, it even alleviates the the, the little bit of delay that someone may have just dialing 911. If now all of a sudden alerts are being done on their behalf. And we've seen that over in the alarm world for, you know, with the after PSAP just cutting off minutes in, in handling just alarm calls that are coming in the door. Uh, it's going to be very exciting as we watch the analytics and the reports coming out on how this is just making things quicker. So, no, great stuff, Darren. And, and I just want to give a big thank you to our guest today, Darren Riley. Uh, great topic, uh, a lot of good information there. To hear additional episodes or learn more, visit us at hxgnspotlight.com. And thanks for tuning in. <laughs>